with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, and verses 1 through 3. We'll be speaking today on the subject of the holiness of God. This will be the 32nd message in a series of messages on the whole counsel of God, and we have been dealing for several weeks on the subject of who and what is God. We've covered such things in the past months as the fact of God's existence, the spirituality of God, the infinite nature of God, the eternal nature of God, the unchangeableness of God. We've covered his wisdom, and we've dealt with his power. Now today we want to deal with the subject of his holiness and see just what is contained in this. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, and verses 1 through 3, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it, that is, above the throne, stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings, and twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet, with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now here is a scene that was given to the prophet Isaiah. It was a scene of God upon his throne. It was a scene in which that the angelic beings around that throne, even though they were without sin, Yet they had to cover their eyes and their faces in the sense of being able to look upon the glorious holiness of the one who was upon the throne. And they cried out, He is thrice holy, 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 holy is the Lord of hosts. And then what's the significance of that? The whole earth is full of his glory. Dealing with this subject, the holiness of God. Pastor Gables, what do you mean by the holiness of God? We answer in the definition in these words, The holiness of God is the infinite purity of God in his nature, whereby he delights in all righteousness and hates and despises all evil. Once again, what is God's holiness? It is that very essence of his nature, whereby he loves that which is right and he despises that which is wrong. That's what is defined as the holiness of God, a loving that which is good, righteous, holy, and just, and an opposition to that which is unrighteous, unholy, and unjust. The book of Proverbs, chapter 15, verse 3, says these words, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the good and the evil. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13 says, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look upon iniquity. So that our God, who is upon the throne, is not a God or not a person such as you and I. That is, that when things take place in our environment, our circumstances, which we do not agree with, and if they are wrong, many times we are prone just to say, oh well, let's just overlook it and let it go. But not so with the holy person of God. 
God has never dealt with anything that was wrong by turning his head the other way and pretending that it did not happen and it did not exist. And one only has to look at the cross of Jesus Christ where God's own Son became sin for you and I to see God's attitude toward that which is unholy, unright, and which is unjust. If he spared not his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, then we see the severity of God's attitude toward that which is right and his opposition toward that which is wrong. Now, is God's glory, then, related to his holiness? Here the angelic beings cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. If God then be an omnipotent person, if he be a person which is a spirit that dwells in all places, then wherever he dwells, there he stands for that which is right and just and good, and he is opposed to that which is evil, unjust, and which is wrong. So if God's glory then is related to his holiness as it is, then his holiness or his glory is scattered throughout the whole earth. Now, what does this mean? How is the holiness of God primarily revealed to man? Pastor, you say God is holy. You say that he wants that which is right, and he is opposed to that which is wrong. How does he then reveal to man what is right and what is wrong? Now, this is an important question because we're living in an age which deals with existentialism, or that is... Uh, what's right one day may be wrong the next day, and what's wrong one day may be right the next day, and everything is bearable. And yet our God, who changes not, has the same righteousness and holiness which has existed in his person. But how does he reveal it to man? How do we as human beings know what is basically right and what is basically wrong? What authority do we look to? Do we look to philosophy? Do we look to science? Do we look to all the ideas of the changing things which take place in the universe? If we do, then we'll never have an absolute standard of knowing what is right and what is wrong. How does God speak and reveal what he wants to men? And he has done this primarily through what the Bible refers to as the Ten Commandments or the moral law of God. The Ten Commandments are impressed upon the consciences of men and are known as God's revealed will. Even though a man may be hidden from civilized society, and even though he may dwell in the midst of the jungle, and he's never heard a missionary, his grandmother and his grandfather never have heard a single reference from the pages of the Bible, God has, according to Romans chapter 2, impressed upon that man's conscience that it is right or that it is wrong in revealing with what is referred to as the Ten Commandments or the Law of God. When he's sitting there and he's roasting his neighbor in his pot, getting ready to eat him, there is in his conscience the law of God saying, this is not right. 
This is not right. And Paul brings this out, that his conscience either accuses or excuses his deeds and his actions. I think it would be well for us here, because as our song leader said just a few minutes ago here, as we sing these hymns, sometimes we become so accustomed to them that we lose the meaning of the message of the words. I think it would be well for us as Christian people, because we are exposed to the Bible in our daily lives, in our churches, in our Sunday schools, that we go back and just review briefly what are the ten laws or the ten commandments of God. In Exodus chapter 20, the first one is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. The second one is that thou shalt not make any graven image in the likeness of anything that is in the heaven or the earth above. There is only to be one God. And secondly, we are not to have false humanistic ideas of that God that he exists like something in the creation. Oh, how important that is. If we are going to bow before God's will, then we must not make an idol out of God. That is, we must not take something in the creation and say, now God is like this. The moment we do that, we become idolaters. And we limit God and we make him just like all the other gods that the people of, of the human race worship. So we do not make graven images, whether that be in the physical realm or in our minds. We are to avoid idolatry. Then the third commandment, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Fourthly, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then the fifth one, Honor thy father and mother, that thy days may be long upon the land. Thou shalt not kill. That is, that we have an obligation before God to respect the person's life of our fellow man. Thou shalt not commit adultery. We have a duty to God to respect our fellow man's husband and his wife. And that is a revealed duty to God. Thou shalt not steal. We have a revealed duty revealed to us by God that we are to respect our fellow man's property rights, his home, his automobile, his clothing, whatever that belongs to him, it is his, and we are not to steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. We have a revealed duty to us from God that we are to respect the honor of our neighbor's name and character, and not to bring that down through false, idle gossip and stories which would wrong him and harm his very character. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house or his wife, manservant, and so forth. That is, to be content with that which God has given us in his providence and to not take that away which God has given or desire that which he has given unto another. Now, these are the laws in which God revealed to man. They are unchanged. These are his revealed will to us. Now, it is sad to say that most modern Baptists today don't know the Ten Commandments, but they know all the Baptist commandments. Thou shalt not smoke, thou shalt not drink, thou shalt not go to the movies, thou shalt not do this, and they'll know all of those. But yet, 
They are strangers or they have forgotten the basic ten commandments of the word of God. Now this, when we're talking about the holiness of God, and whenever your pastor preaches on the holiness of God, he's not talking about a little system of do's and don'ts that men have set up. But he's talking about God's revealed will as to how we are to first of all love him with all our heart, mind, and soul by not being idolaters, and then how we are to conduct ourselves before our fellow man by keeping what is referred to as the second table of the law. The first four commandments deal with man's relationship to God. The last six commandments deal with man's relationship with his fellow man. This is God's revealed will and what is our duty as we go through this life. In the Old Testament, in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, and verse 13 and 14, Solomon brings this out that how that this is the summary of all true religion. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter, verse 13. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment and every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. The summary of all that is set forth in the Old Testament is simply this, that true religion is a fear or a reverence of God and a submission to his revealed will in his commandments. You go to the New Testament and you find when Jesus came to this earth to die on the cross, it is said in his Sermon on the Mount, I didn't come to do away with your duty, I came to establish your duty. I didn't come to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill the law. And in the book of Mark, chapter 12, and verses 30 and 31, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. That is, this is the summary of the first four of God's commandments given on the first table given to Moses. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment given greater than these. And the second table is that which revealed man's duty to his fellow man. So Jesus said the summary of all the commandments was simply this, so be obedient to God as he has revealed himself to you, and to be obedient and to reverence the right and property of your neighbor or your fellow man. This is the summary of all of the commandments of what God's will is and our duty is unto him. Now the Apostle Paul, when he went out and he preached the gospel after Christ died, was buried, and rose again, when he went to the head of that empire, which was ruling the world, the Roman Empire, here, in spite of what all he taught about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, about justification, sanctification, glorification, salvation, adoption, all of these great things which he described in the book of Romans, he summarizes that the reason why these took place are to fulfill, help us fulfill our duty before God. In Romans chapter 13, verse 8, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth hath fulfilled the law. 
For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So what he's saying to the church here of Rome is that what Christ came to do is to purchase life on the cross, to pour out that life, to bring it back again, and to impart it to believing sinners to enable them to have the type of heart that they would love to fulfill God's revealed will for them here in their life. So what then, if this be God's glory, and his glory is in his holiness, that is, his right to say this is right and this is wrong, then what is sin, and how does sin relate to the holy will of God? We read again in the Bible, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4. The Bible gives us a definition of what sin is. Now remember, holiness is that which God loves and that which God despises. What God wants in the lives of his creatures. 1 John chapter 3 verse 4. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Sin is the breaking, the passing over of that which God has revealed to be our duty to him or to our fellow man. It means that instead of bowing before the sovereign God who has revealed himself in the pages of the Bible, I bow down to some mystic God and make that conception in my mind an idol, and by doing so I have committed a sin. It means that if I see my neighbor and I begin to want that which is rightly belongs to him, whether it be his wife, whether it be his name, whether it be his automobile, his possession, his home, and then I covet that and it leads me to steal or to kill to obtain that, I have broken God's revealed will for my life. And because of this, then I have sinned. Now, this then raises the question of just what is sin? Sin, then, is when God's law has revealed what God loves and what he hates. Sin is a direct attack upon the glory of God. Holy, 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 cry the angels. The earth is filled with his glory. God's presence is everywhere setting forth through the commandments, this is right, this is wrong. Live in the light of what this is impressed upon, your conscience is right, and what is wrong. Here they are. And then what is sin? It is an attack upon the glory or the holiness of God to love what he loves and to hate what he hates. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says these words. Now listen carefully. For all have sinned and come short of the, what is it? Anybody know? The glory of God. What is sin? It is saying, God, I know what your revealed will is. I know what you want. I know what you like. 
I know what you dislike. And yet, I don't want that. I want my own way, and I claim my right to do what I want to do, and your laws have no authority over me. And by doing so, then, a person comes short of glorifying God because they do not bow to his holy, revealed will. Sin is the creature loving that which God hates and hating that which God loves. Sin is the transgression of the law. You remember King Ahab, he had a wife named Jezebel, Ahab had everything in his possession that he could have wanted. And he had a neighbor across the way named Naboth. Naboth had a good vineyard. He had a good income. And yet, Ahab saw that vineyard and he began to covet it. He said, I've got to have Naboth's vineyard. And then he told a lie about Naboth. First he coveted, broke one of the commandments. Then he began to bear false witness about Naboth. And he told another lie and broke another commandment. Then he took that which did not belong to him through false pretenses, and then he had Naboth killed so he wouldn't be able to get back at him. Now, there were four violations of God's revealed law. Now, here's not an ignorant heathen. Here is a man who has been exposed to the prophets of Israel, and he knows what God's law is, respecting the rights of his neighbor over here. Now, what did Ahab do in sinning? He said this, God, I don't care what you say is right. You say it is wrong for me to do these things. I say if it makes me happy, I'm going to do my own thing. And he did his own thing. And that's what the scripture calls sin. The trespassing in someone else's forbidden ground where it doesn't belong to you and I. Now, we can do that with God or we can do it with our fellow man. And so sin then is a direct attack upon the glory of God, God's right to command what is right and what is wrong. Now, I have a family, and I set forth certain rules in my home as to how our family is going to be governed in order to maintain order and avoid chaos. And when one of my children then take upon themselves the responsibility of breaking one of the rules of the home, and what they're actually doing is saying, I don't care what the authority dad has, I don't like what he likes, and by doing so, this makes me happy. Now that is sin, or that is an attack upon my right to be the father. Sin in the human race is an attack upon God's right to be God, and for him to say, it is wrong for you to do this, and it is right for us to do this. And Satan said, huh, I don't like that. Remember, he was, a, he was an angel, the highest of God's created being. He said, no, no, I don't like that. I'm going to be God. I will ascend into the heavens. I will do this. And by doing so, the Bible says he fell in that he sinned and came short of the glory of God. Then God created the human race. 
And he placed them in the garden. And Satan tempted them, saying, Now you do that which God has forbidden, and he doesn't really love you, or he wouldn't have forbidden this. But he knows that in the day that you take of that forbidden fruit, you'll be as God. Go ahead and do it. And so man fell in that he sinned. And so when sin enters into our heart, our life, and what we do, if we will recognize it is an attitude toward God, God, I don't think it's, you have the right to command me to do these things. So sin is the desire of the creature to be God and to make him uh, uh, make our own laws and disobey God's laws. Now I want to apply this in closing with an ins- for words of instruction. How, pastor, does the gospel of Jesus Christ convey the holiness of God to us? How does the gospel convey the holiness of God to us? You say, well, why was there any need of the gospel? God gave the Ten Commandments. Why can't man just keep the Ten Commandments? The Bible tells us that the commandments were weak. They had one major weakness. They gave an outward duty, but they gave no internal ability to perform that duty. So that they were written on external tables of stone. But I have a problem. I see my duty before God, but I now as a sinner see that there are some things which my neighbor has that I want. Now, how how am I going to reconcile this? I find here my duty, and yet I find a desire to do otherwise. How does the gospel convey the holiness of God to a sinner? Let's go to the book of uh, of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And verse 6, verse 5, We preach not ourselves but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And beloved, if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds, lest they believe not the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, and lest it should shine unto them. But are you here this morning, and you have reason to believe that that light has shined unto your heart? If it has, and the true light of the gospel has shined unto you, here is something that it has revealed to you. Now listen carefully. God has commanded the light to shine out of darkness, and it has shined internally in our desires to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, which is his holiness, in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, what did Jesus Christ come to do? The book of Hebrews said, I come to do thy will, O God. And we find Jesus Christ not only obeying the external laws of God, to where he never had a false idea toward God, and he never had a sinful thought toward his fellow man, of which he became a member of that race. He not only 
obeyed God in that era, but he submitted himself to the will of God for his life. And we find that when he's about to go to the cross, and he's sweating great drops of blood as he sees what lies ahead of him there as a man, and he cries out, O Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Our Lord was not only submissive to the external will of God and was revealed as his will, but he was submissive to the will of God in providence. Whatever God willed and brought forth in the life of Christ, he said, I delight to do thy will, O God. Now, Jesus Christ died as a representative of the people, and he purchased life to apply to the believer. And to the person who has believed, this has taken place. Listen carefully. The person who has truly believed in Christ has bowed before the Lord Jesus Christ and has seen the glory of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The person of Christ is his Lord. He is the sovereign ruler over heaven and earth. His work is he came to die on behalf of sinners. And the writer of Hebrews says that when that gospel is applied to the heart of that believer, he has his sins forgiven, blotted out, and put away as far as the east is from the west. But there's something else which also has begun at that time. And that is, he says, God says, I will write my laws. Where? On external tables? No. I'm going to write them internally on the very fleshly nature of the heart. And I'm going to keep on doing that. And as they stumble and fall, I'm going to continue to apply life to them so that they shall eventually enter into a state of glory where they also shall perfectly do the will of my Father which is in heaven. That's the plan and design of salvation, is that we shall do the will of God perfectly as the angels and the inhabitants of heaven do it. And we will not do that, beloved, if we have not seen that the holiness of God is what we should desire for our life and that it is applied to us by embracing the offer of mercy in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So I ask you in closing, is the will of God that which you seek out after? Now again, don't jump off into some false uh, crevice here of what you have conceived in your mind is the will of God. Uh, that, well, I don't do this, or I do this, or do that. I'm talking about the revealed will of God as set forth toward him and toward your fellow man. Do you delight in doing that? John says that his commandments are not grievous. Do you delight in bowing before the God who is the God of heaven and earth? And you know whether you do or not. Do you delight and bowing before that God, and when he says, This is my will, you say, Even so, Lord Jesus, help me to do that will. Help me not only keep the commandments in the external realm that you've revealed towards you and my fellow man, but when I'm sitting here like Job, and I find all the providential afflictions going the other way, 
and I have sought your will like Paul did to help this depart from me. Take this thorn of affliction from me. Then have you received the answer from God, my grace is sufficient for you. And can you then say there with Job, the Lord gave, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Can you delight in the will of God and providence in your life? Is that which you seek out after? If so, it's because you've seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, so that now you love that which he loves, and you are opposed to that which he hates. Now, that will not be a perfection, but all it should be that when you find yourself falling short of that, that you would go afresh and anew to God and say, Father, help me to be like that you would have me to be. Help me to love my neighbor as you have set forth. Help me not to have false ideas of you the way the heathen do. Help me to love you with all my heart, mind, and soul. And help me to treat my neighbor as I would have him treat me. Help me the next time that I'm about to pass on a false philosophy story to think, would I want that story told about me? Help me the next time that I'm having some unnatural, uh, immoral desire about my neighbor's wife. Help me to have pure thoughts and to think upon that which is good. The next time I fall out with my neighbor and I'm angry with him, help me to see that I'm becoming guilty of murder with him. Help me, O oh Lord, to be the type of man and woman that you'd have me to be here in my earthly existence. And Father... Help me also that in those times when you come and it looks like that my circumstances have been taken out of your hands and that Satan is completely ruling or man is ruling my life and my own heart would rise up and try to dethrone you. Help me not to form a false image of you. Help me to come afresh in you and know that you're in the heavens. You rule over all. Help me to bow down before that throne and say, holy, holy, holy. What you desire, I desire. What you want, I want. And help me to be able to do that for the glorification of your name, which is throughout the whole earth. Shall we stand?